Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. The historic Portland public schools strike is over, but schools throughout the state and the country continue to face another big issue, a teacher shortage. According to a dashboard created by Oregon's Teacher Standards and Practice Commission, there are hundreds of open positions right now for educators across the state. Kevin Carr is a professor of science education at Pacific University. He joins us to talk about all this, including the challenges of obtaining a teaching license and what can be done to address this shortage. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having this conversation. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We reached out to you because you reached out to us amidst our strike coverage. You said there's another issue that we should discuss, licensing and emergency licenses. So I thought we should start by having you explain how the system is normally supposed to work. What are the standard ways that people can become teachers in Oregon? So there's two there's two main qualifications for becoming a teacher. First, you have to have uh, you know knowledge of the content that you're going to teach. You know, if you're going to teach math, you should be a math major or have you know, math courses and math knowledge in your background. And then there's a set of teacher training um, standards that that you have to met in order to be licensed to um, enter into the classroom. And those involve some uh, coursework and knowledge about teaching and learning and, and, you know, what's involved with kids at whatever age level that you're working with. And then also a thorough um, clinical practice where you're in a school uh, learning alongside a mentor teacher and, and, you know, not being in charge of a classroom immediately, but starting out with uh, observing and then gradually, you know, working your way forward till you're ready to um, assume control for a classroom. Um, and then you're ready to start with your um, initial classroom once you've achieved that licensure. How is an emergency license different? So, yeah, an emergency license is a form of license that a school district can uh, sponsor someone to go into the classroom without having the the regular teacher training and an emergency license lasts for one year uh you know one year only and the district has to you know demonstrate that that a situation existed where this person is our best option um, to meet the needs of students in the classroom usually because they can't find uh, a licensed teacher to do that job how common were these emergency licenses in the past so I've been doing this for 25 years, and in the past, uh, you know, emergency and you know, another similar form of the license is restricted license um, were used in, in rural districts mostly um, because they're you know you're in a small community and you may have someone in the community who has you know some of the knowledge and skills to teach but not teacher licensure per se, and so um, you know the numbers were small, less than a hundred. Uh, at one point, and uh, but they started to grow, um, starting in about 2008, and you know reaching to where we are now. Well, where are we now? Well, according to the dashboard that TSPC uh, put up recently, as directed by um, House Bill 4030, uh, passed last spring, there are over 2,100 teachers 
in the state of Oregon right now who are teaching without the required teacher training under under this emergency or restricted uh, license format. Now, you said that so that was from about 100, something like 15 years ago. And you said that the increase started back in 2008. So meaning well before the pandemic. What are the reasons that these have become so much more common in recent years? There's a bit of a you know a bit of a story behind this, but um, you know the teacher training model in Oregon was um, kind of fully enacted the way it is now in the early '90s, and uh, what I just described about the coursework and the clinical practice uh, has been in place since then. And uh, but we started to see a decrease in enrollment in teacher training programs in about 2008. Uh, that sort of has gradually been eroding our ability to supply teachers, which leads to the situation where districts are having to hire um, untrained folks to go directly into the classroom. And then and then the pandemic basically tripled those numbers. So those numbers were about 700 uh, in the 700 area. And then now what we see today is at about 2100. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons underlying this. The the main reason that I think um, is emerging now is the cost of becoming a teacher. The model that we had in the 1990s, uh, you know, required that the person becoming a teacher pay the cost of their own training. So you paid tuition for coursework at a teacher prep institution. And then you also were required to do um, 15 weeks is the absolute minimum of clinical work in a school without pay or benefits. And so, you know, people generally did uh, access that through uh, taking out student loans. But beginning in 08, the ability to do that and the economic conditions have changed now so that um, what was somewhat exclusive to people due to cost is now very exclusive uh, in terms of people becoming teachers. Hmm. I want to hear more about um, your ideas for how to change this, but I'm just curious, first, what you think this means for students? What are the repercussions of having, at this point, 2,100 teachers with either an emergency or, or a restricted license, meaning, as you noted, just less training in how to teach. There's, you know, the last thing I want to do is, is uh, you know, cast cast any uh, you know negative light on the people that have stepped in that are stepping in to do this. I mean, they're doing heroic work. We're working with uh, about thirty of them at Pacific University to support them any way we can through this process and you know they bring a lot of skills and a lot of background into it however you know going into teaching your own classroom uh involves it should involve some practice it should involve some oversight and some teaching alongside someone who knows how to teach you know similar to flying a plane you're going to be the co-pilot for a while and um you know when you when you fly solo in a classroom uh, without that, uh, things happen. You know, it takes it takes a long time to get up to speed. It takes, you know, even if you're doing well, can take weeks and months to, you know, to start to understand the students in your classroom and to and to start to meet their needs. And so, you know, an elementary school student, maybe with a year, maybe in a classroom for a year with someone who's really learning it as they go, you know, from from kind of going from the street into the classroom. 
and um you know student learning is going going to suffer even in a be- in the best case scenario due to that lack of preparation you know in a high school and middle school you may be taking you know a math class from a teacher who um may know may know a lot of math but is uh just learning on the fly how to you know meet the various different needs of students and those are those are the best case scenarios by the way where where people come in and um you know make it through the year and and you know more tragically is is when teachers just find out um hey i'm not cut out for this and and have to leave you know during the year only to be replaced by someone else or a substitute and um you know a lot of learning can get lost in that and we can't really afford that at the moment you noted that these are supposed to be for a year what happens after a year? Are some of these teachers being extended and I guess being emergency licensed teachers in perpetuity? Well, yeah. So that's where that second form of licensure comes in. So an emergency license is a year. In a, if, you can, um, if you get sponsored for a restricted license, you can be in it for three years, but you have to be enrolled in a teacher training program during that time. So you have to start progressing toward licensure, uh, you know, while you're in the classroom and you have three years to accomplish that. So I've, I've talked to people who have been teaching six, seven, eight years and still haven't achieved licensure due to various combinations of licensures and emergency situations. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about teacher shortages. And we're going to turn now to what we might be able to do to address them. We're talking with Kevin Carr, professor of science education at Pacific University. So some states have been using registered apprenticeship programs to to address exactly what we're talking about, to bring more teachers, to get them trained and up and running without having them um, they have to go into major debt in ways that are maybe impossible for them. How do these programs work? The district um, becomes the focus of becoming a teacher in a registered apprenticeship program. So, like, like another apprenticeship program, you know, in, in a different in different kinds of trades and things that we're, we're more used to talking about apprenticeships. You know, a person wanting to become a teacher would go to a school district. And that school district is in partnership with a with an educator training uh, program. In, in in apprenticeships, they call it related training. And uh, so, so a district is in partnership with a university that provides teacher training, and the district hires that person in the role of an apprentice to become a teacher. And so they start getting paid and benefited at at some level, not not the full teacher level, but at a at a beginning level an apprentice level right off the bat and starts learning on the job as an employee of that school district while being supported and um, trained in the knowledge, the background knowledge and the skills to teach, you know, as they go. So uh, we've just started this in Oregon. Um, We have some pilot projects that are starting up right now. I'm working with the Woodburn School District and we're going to have a couple of apprentices enrolled actually as of next week and they're going to be on a pathway of becoming a teacher you know while they are working in the school district um we have other models in oregon a lot of times they're called grow your own models where universities come into a close partnership with school districts with the intent of providing ways for the district to put people forward to become teachers who are already within their community 
and already, if not their employees, people who are embedded in the community that they can um, know that when they become a teacher, they're going to be there for the long run. Retention is a huge part of this uh, problem. But we're excited about the apprentice program. We just needed to ramp up uh, faster and, and, you know, to, to get into those numbers, you know, to change the numbers of untrained teachers out there, we need these programs to be um, scaled up by about a factor of 10. Hmm. In a sense, what we're talking about is shifting the cost. So it's saying instead of having um, teachers in training, paying for that training, instead it would be the districts who are doing that. I I can't help but think that we've, in, in the Portland area, we've just ended three weeks of strike after you know months and months of tense negotiations that among other things included teacher pay and the district saying, we wish we could pay more, but we don't have the money for that. What we're talking about here would be much more money for people who aren't yet you know, licensed teachers. Where would that money come from? If you're talking about increasing these programs tenfold, where's the money? Uh, districts that are getting involved in this are looking at this is that uh, preparing teachers in this way becomes a method of reducing uh, rehiring and increasing retention going into the future. Hmm. So districts already spend an incredible amount of money uh, recruiting teachers to come. Uh, there's districts in the state who actually travel internationally to try to find teachers in foreign countries that speak the language that they need, you know, within their districts. And so, uh, it, but it can't be something that districts can just do using the, using the, uh, you know, the pots of money that they already have. I mean, this needs to be a state, a state initiative. The state is already putting, uh, you know, small single figures of millions of dollars into these grow your own programs and into the apprentice program. Uh, but in order to in order to really change these numbers, you know that that is going to need to be scaled up, which which involves shifting um, shifting some resources. I will say though that that um, having twenty one hundred teachers untrained that's impacting one hundred thousand students that's just a conservative estimate. I, I haven't broken this down totally, but it's about one hundred thousand students is itself incredibly expensive in the in the learning loss. And the fact that teachers that start that way are not generally retained as well, which means you're rehiring again, which again costs more money. Hmm. So um, that's uh, and with the registered apprentice program, we can actually tap into um, U.S. Department of Labor funds that are available. Uh, the U.S. Department of Education is a very big supporter of the apprentice programs. So there's also outside funding we can get, but ultimately. To get this problem under control is going to take a pretty good influx of funds to begin with. And then once it settles down, there'll be kind of a constant funding level to maintain the need for teachers. Kevin Carr, thanks very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Kevin Carr is a professor of science education at Pacific University.